don't be afraid to fail. That that fail and fail boldly. You know, spectacular fails to me are what makes life. <laughs> so I mean, the very worst you're going to fail, and if you fail, you succeeded because you tried. Welcome back to Walk Like Beggars. I'm John. I'm Steven. Guys, this is the episode you have been waiting for. It's probably the coolest one. The audio is terrible. I apologize. We uh, we had some timing issues on the calendar, but we were just so stoked to get Dean Carnazes in uh, interview with us. And he's otherwise known as the Ultra Marathon Man. Can you ask for a better nickname? So let me tell you a little bit about Dean. He has completed a number of endurance events, mostly running, but also swimming. Um, Some of his notable achievements is he's done 100-mile races, um, 24-hour straight races, a marathon in the Antarctic. He uh, ran from Disneyland in L.A. to New York. Um, How many? He ran 350 miles in 80 hours and 44 minutes without sleep. (laughs) So we're going to dive in, ask him a lot of questions about, well, how the heck do you even run that long, you know, 80 hours without sleeping, Um, as well as talking about, you know, his transition from he was making big time money, a great lifestyle in San Francisco, turns 30, and he kind of has his like midlife crisis. It's really interesting. So get ready for that story and so much more. Again, apologies about the sound, but it's worth the listen. Okay, let's go. We're really thrilled to uh, kind of chat with you and um, wanted to give you a little insight of kind of the focus of our podcast. Um, our podcast is called Walk Like Beggars. And essentially, it comes from a really nerdy sci-fi book that Stephen and I both love. And uh, essentially, it's about this king. He has this chance to just, you know, take the easy road and take the, the chariot. But he decides to get out of the chariot and walk back to his, his kingdom and walk through the entire kingdom. And the, they're like, why are you doing this? You're a king. You should be riding in royalty. And he essentially says, you know, I, I want to. It's about the journey. It's not about the destination. And so we really resonate with that in terms of we love to just hear people's journey and you know talk about talk with them about their experiences the ups the downs and just their success stories and their failures as well Uh, as i know you know you were working in san francisco and then you started running for the rest of your life honestly and would love to just hear your whole story there yeah, so uh, anyone who knows my story, I you know I used to love to run uh, when I was a little boy. So my first childhood memories uh, were for running home from kindergarten, literally when I was six years old. And I ran competitively up until I was a freshman in high school. And um, at that point, after uh, the freshman uh, cross country season, I decided that um, you know running was boring. I was a teenager back then. I thought you know you're just wasting your time. And, uh, and I gave up running altogether. So quit running uh, at age 15. Um, you know, subsequently, uh, you know, went to college, uh, went to graduate school, uh, I went to business school, and I had a business degree. And uh, I thought, you know, do 
follow the kind of the, the prescribed path through life, of, you know, getting a good degree, getting a good job, making a lot of money, and, and happiness will follow. Well, um, the you know the equation wasn't working out. I'd done all of these things, and I was actually miserable. I, I didn't like being a business guy. It just it wasn't who I was fundamentally. So on the night of my 30th birthday, I was in a in a bar in San Francisco, and I told my buddies, <laughs> I'm leaving. And they said, oh, it's, it's midnight, it's your 30th birthday, let's have another round of tequila. And I said, you know, instead of getting um, drunk to celebrate my 30th birthday, I'm going to run 30 miles instead. You know, they looked at me and they said, you're not a runner, you know, you're, you're wasted. And I said, I am, but I'm still going to do it. And I walked out of the bar and just started running. I... Um, started running south. I knew that if I got from San Francisco to a place called Half Moon Bay, that was 30 miles. And I said, set your sights on Half Moon Bay and get there. And I basically, you know, ran, crawled, stumbled, walked <laughs> uh, all night. And next morning, uh, I made it to Half Moon Bay. Uh, and that forever changed the course of my life. That's awesome. So my question is, you do this big run. Uh, what happens next? You just like crawl back to your house or do you call your wife i mean like and then from that point are you just like just your body is a mess or you're just like no i'm gonna do this again like what tell us about that second run yeah no, that's a really good question so i you know i don't want to date myself but um this run took place uh pre-cell phone so okay. there was a, i got to you half bay and there's a 7-eleven on the corner and I'll never forget, um, there was a payphone there. So I picked up the payphone and I called my wife, uh, Collect. And she answered, she was very concerned. She said, you know, where, where are you? Yeah, you've never stayed out all night like this. Uh, she was in dental school at the time, so she didn't go to the night. You know, she went home early. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, um, Julie. I just need a ride home. And she said, well, no questions asked. Where are you? And I said, well, I'm out in front of 7-Eleven. And she said, you mean the 7-Eleven right down on Geary Street? There was a 7-Eleven, you know, right down the, the street from our house in San Francisco. And I said, well, no, I'm actually in front of the 7-Eleven in Half Moon Bay. <laughs> what? You know, how did you get there? And I said, I, uh, I ran. And she said, you ran from where? I said, I ran from the bar to Half Moon Bay. And she said, yeah, you know, just hold tight. You don't sound very stable. I'll be right there. <laughs> and so she drove down and picked me up. And... I started going on and on to her on the drive home. I, God, I got this urge to run, and you know, I can, I, I've got blisters all over, and I'm chafing in places. The sun don't shine, but it was a magical night, and I really loved running. And, and then I kind of just passed out in the in the front seat of the car. And I remember waking up in our driveway back in San Francisco. And I had drool all over my <laughs> my shirt. I just fell asleep. I drooled all over. And you know, for the next week or two, I could barely walk up a, a flight of stairs. I was, you know, pretty damaged. But I started running again. I started running, you know, like four or five miles a day uh, from that point on. So I decided, you know, I'm going to be a runner again. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to somehow make a go of running, um, even though it's, you know, it's not what I studied in school or anything, but I still, it's what I love. That's so cool. Um, I just love that story. It's amazing. And um, a lot of the people that we've interviewed have similar moments where they are kind of stuck in this uh, in their life that they were you know told they're supposed to live, and they make this jump. It's kind of like the, the almost the genesis of th their new beginning, and that sounds like yours, um, obviously. 
But what happened next? Did you did you quit your job? And it sounds scary trying to make a living out of running. How did your wife feel about that? Did you have any kids at the time? Because because a lot of our listeners, that's something that they get they get paralyzed with fear. They have these ideas, these ambitions, but then they get weighed down with you know, the bills and the insurances and they say, this isn't realistic. This is too lofty. And they, they just never make the jump. So can you kind of walk us through your, how you made the jump and how that was for you and your family? I, I will. And, you know, I certainly have empathy for the people you just described, because I'll tell you what, um, stepping out on your own is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's right. I mean, what did I walk away from? Well, you know, it was, uh, I was working with um, a company called GlaxoSmithKline, a big, you know, Fortune, global Fortune 500 company. Um, you know, I had a great paycheck. I had stock options. I had a company car. I had 401k matching program. You know, I had free health care. Um, you know, my daughter was on the way, so my wife was pregnant. Uh, you know, to, 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 to leave all the things and say, I'm just going to set out on my own, it, it's frightening. Uh, but I also saw the, the writing on the wall. I said, you know, you, it's, all, it, it's somewhat of a prison you're living in. And, you know, um, uh, George Lucas has a famous saying who I really love. It's, you know, he said, we all live in, uh, in prison cells with the door wide open. And I thought, you know, step out on your own. You're, you're going to live inside this prison cell your whole life. And you're going to be getting up every morning, you know, regretting having to go to the office, not motivated, you know, tired. Um, I just could see that scripted uh, in my future. So I thought, you know, trust your instinct and, and be bold and, um, and let's just see where it takes you. And, you know, this, it, 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 what I'm describing now is a much more common theme these days. I mean, just the fact that we're on a podcast talking about it means that a lot of people are thinking about it. this. You know, this was two and a half decades ago. There was no gigging economy. You know, there was, there was no kind of side vocations most people had. They, they worked for the man, you know, you work for a company, and that was kind of, that was it. You know, if you, if you were going to change jobs, you'd go to work for another big company. Um, you know, there wasn't the startup scene. There's a lot more options available uh, these days. And, you know, uh, this is pre, um, you know, Kim Ferriss before our work week kind of thing. So doing what I did was really an audacious, kind of unheard of move. But I still just thought, you got to try it. you got to, you know, you'll... Even if you fail, at least you won't spend your entire life regretting you never took a chance. That's awesome. I, I love that. And like when I read Ultra Marathon Man and kind of that section, that just resonated me with like almost every fiber of my being in terms of just questioning the status quo and like what society tells us we have to do or putting us in that prison cell, as you say. Um, I love what you wrote on this Medium article, and I just wanted you to expand upon this quote, um, but you said, madness was preferable to a life of numbness. And so I kind of want you to expand upon that in terms of how did you make this madness your your new normal? Yeah, well, you know, when I, when I, you know, I said to you, uh, when I came into the kitchen, I'll never forget, I said to my wife that I was going to quit my job. And she looked at me, she said, I wonder why it took you so long. <laughs> so first of all, I've, I've got to you know, say that I'm surrounded by um, incredible people, mostly my wife and my family that have been uh, very, very supportive. So having that, you know, that layer of support, I think, has really helped me. It, it's emboldened me. 
Um, but then again, you know, being a runner, like how do you be a runner? I started doing these ultra marathons, um, you know, which are races that are beyond a marathon. Um, you know, some of you listeners that are unfamiliar with ultra marathoning, I mean, some of these races are a hundred miles nonstop or further, and they're usually through the through the mountains and through the wilderness. And you know that 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 in its own right is very intimidating. And you think, okay, well, if you run a hundred miles, you know what's you know what's the payout for that? Well, <laughs> it's usually a really nice belt buckle you know, <laughs> or a trophy. So there's not a lot of prize money in this sport, uh, and there was no prize money in the sport when I when I first started into it. And I thought, okay, so you can't just rely on running these ultra marathons uh, as a source of income. You need to, to, to figure out a way to make, um, you know, to keep the lights on, to feed the family through running. And I applied some of my business skills, I think, to, to looking at, um, you know, if you say different uh, sort of silos of revenue. Um, you know, one, uh, book sales. I never intended to be an author. I mean, I just, writing a book was just an ambition I had. You know, as many people have ambitions to, you know, try skydiving, you know, <laughs> go scuba diving, try sushi, whatever, you know, your, your uh, kind of um, BHAG, your big, audacious, hairy goal is. Um, writing a book was just one of those. And when it ended up on the, on the bestseller list, I was as surprised as anyone. But I thought, okay, well, maybe you can um, make some money writing books. So I started doing that. And I thought, you know, the, the theme of... Um, lessons learned from athletics that apply to business is a strong one. Maybe you can be uh, like a corporate keynote speaker and make some revenue there. So I, you know, I signed up with the Speakers Bureau and, and started doing some corporate keynote talks. And then I thought, what about sponsors? I mean, do you have anything to offer a sponsor? Maybe you can get a sponsorship deal. So I was approached by a company called The North Face. And I convinced them that, you know, trail running was the future. And again, this is a couple decades ago, when yeah. most people were running, you know, the Boston Marathon on a road, most running was done on a run, a paved surface. And I said, that's going to change. People like being out in nature. They like being on trails. They want to get off the road. Um, thankfully, the North Face said, you know, yeah, let's tell me more. We think we can maybe do something there. So I've been working with the North Face for, for many, many years. Uh, so I looked at different ways I could um, use running and, and use my passion for running and my knowledge of running. Uh, to, you know, like I said, to, to keep the lights on. That's rad. So it seems like you, in terms of when you tell, told your wife, hey, I'm going to quit my job and make a life out of running, uh, what was the span of time before you started seeing, like, income from that running? Like, how many races, how many years, how much time or months had it been from the I quit my job conversation to I'm now getting a paycheck for something running related? Um, you know, thankfully, they had happened pretty quickly. I mean, I think the, the universe was aligned for me to do it. Um, it happened, you know, I, again, when my uh, I released this book, you know, I published this book. I'm thinking if five of my, five of my buddies buy this book, I'll be lucky. And all of a sudden, it's New York Times bestseller, and I start seeing royalty checks, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then I finished this 100-mile this foot race called the Western States 100-mile endurance run, and that's right about the time... Um, I explained my experience with the North Face. The North Face, they had some representatives there at the finish, and they approached me at the finish of this and said, you know, um, what you're saying makes sense. We want to design a line of trail running shoes. These are shoes that are specifically made for running on trails. Would you be interested in collaborating with us? And, you know, so I thought, wow, <laughs> twist my arm a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah I would. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of came together right away. 
and then I thought, well, you know, put your name out there about speaking, and, and you know, um, lessons learned from running, especially uh, long-distance running, you know, the kind of um, overcoming adversity stories and dealing with obstacles, you know, that perseverance and never giving up, uh, those sort of themes are very powerful in business, and I thought, you know, you've learned a lot from running that um, can translate into business, and companies, you know, bought into that. So I started getting booked as as, um, as speakers for, you know, sales meetings or motivational talks, things like that, and that came together pretty quickly. And it, you know, I've never really marketed myself as a speaker; it's just been word of mouth. I thought, do a good job in your first presentation, and maybe someone in the audience will recommend you to someone else. And basically, you know, I've given hundreds of corporate keynotes now, and all of them have been um, just through word of mouth. That's that's awesome. Um, question I have for you is on kind of on a different note. I feel like along this journey, uh, it's changed you in a lot of ways. But one way I've like notice is your diet has changed over the years because I remember you talk like in parts of your book you you order a pizza while out on a run and you just down the whole thing and and then from the Spartathlon race you were trying to eat as the Spartans did and we you know you know you had those moments of just uh problems in that race itself but overall I feel like your diet has changed and so this is just more of a curiosity question like what has that change been especially so our listeners know and uh, why did you make that change? Uh, yeah, and that's a really good um, question to ask. And I think I'll start just by saying that, that people can change, and they do change if they're open-minded. And I certainly have changed, especially when it comes to diet. Um, you're right, I'll never live down the story from my first book of, um, you know, I was running this 200-mile uh, relay race, the 12-person relay race, but I was just running the whole 200 miles. <laughs> I was out in the middle of nowhere, uh, starving, and I had a cell phone at the time and a credit card, so I ordered a pizza delivered to me, and I just rolled the whole thing up and ate it as I ran. <laughs> and I'll never live that story down, but, you know, the last time I've had pizza has probably been 10 years ago, if not more. So I realized that um, a calorie is, is not uh, a calorie. Um, a calorie from different food sources really matters. They used to think that, you know, you're burning... 20, 30,000 calories during some of these events and that same amount of calories no matter what the source is. So I was eating a lot of junk food, you know, pizza, all kinds of stuff uh, to get in as many calories as I could. But what I was finding, it was, it was really a roller coaster. I mean, it, it gave me a lot of energy initially and then I'd have these big crashes. And I thought maybe you can, uh, you know, you can change your diet around a bit and have more consistent energy. So I just started through self-selection um, eliminating foods that kind of left me feeling lethargic and um, unenergetic and retaining those foods that left me feeling uplifted and kind of, um, you know, energetic. And through doing that, I realized that if I cut out any sort of processed or refined foods, you know, anything I had to go through a machine, uh, that I was feeling much better. So, you know, now I, I say if I can't pick it from a tree or dig it from the earth or, or catch it with my hands, you know, I or, or catch it with a hook, you know, like wild game or sea, you know, fish, uh, I don't eat it. So, you know, can't take a, a piece of wheat, you know, can you pick it from the field and put it in your mouth? Well, no, it's got to be processed and refined through machine. The same goes through rice, you know, most grains have to be processed. And so now I don't eat any grains at all. I mean, I don't eat bread, I don't eat pasta, 
I mean, oats, anything that needs to be cooked or processed, uh, I don't eat. And I'm feeling so much better. Uh, my energy level is much more consistent, and I just feel uh, more vibrant all the way around. So I've shifted my diet. You know, I, always, I say to people, experiment, you know, try new things, test new things. Um, read, I read a lot. I, you know, um, I'm very curious, and I try new foods. I try, you know, different strategies of uh, intermittent fasting. You know, different types of, of fats. You know, from monounsaturated to, you know, polyunsaturated um, to medium chain triglycerides. I try all of it to see how it leaves me feeling, and and then I just go with, um, you know, with what gives me the most energy, and that's how my diet evolves. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of backtracking a little bit, I'm a little, I'm just a little curious. So you ran that 30 miles on your 30th birthday. Was that the farthest you had ever ran in a single, uh, a single race, single time? Yes, it was. In fact, um, you know, I knew a marathon was 26.2 miles because when I was 14 years old, I ran a marathon. Wow. Wow. It's a race that exists. And I thought maybe running 30 miles, like. That was the first. I thought, wow, maybe that's the furthest any humans ever run. I just ran beyond a marathon. <laughs> and then I met these two guys that were training for a 50-mile race. And I thought, what? Holy, you're 50 miles? That's impossible. Uh, that's, that's ludicrous. It, it, like, do you run it all at once? And they said, yeah, yeah it's a 50-mile race. And I thought, that, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I got to try it. <laughs> So I signed up for this 50-mile race, and I ran 50 miles, and it almost killed me. I'll never forget, I, I finished, and I was at, like, in the finisher tent, and I saw those two guys that introduced me to the 50-mile race, and they were high-fiving. They said, we just qualified. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, qualified for what, the insane asylum? <laughs> no, we, well, we just qualified for the Western States 100-mile endurance run. And, and I kind of, you know, shook my head, and... And, and scratched my chin. I said, what did you say? And he said, well, it's a 100-mile uh, foot race. And I just, I couldn't get my head around it. I thought, you know, I asked, is it not, what do you mean 100 miles? Like, you know, where are the campgrounds along the way? Or, you know, where are the hotels you stay in? And the guy said, said he said, no, the gun goes off and you start running and you try to finish within one day, within 24 hours, running 100 miles. And he also said it's through the mountains. It's, you know, it starts at a ski resort in Lake Tahoe. And you run 100 miles through the mountains. You've got to cross a river. You know, you've got to scale peaks. And I thought, that is, the, that is unfathomable. Like, a human cannot do that. I've got to try it. I, now that I know something like that exists, I've got to try it. And, you know, again, this is a couple decades ago. But uh, that's how I got into the sport of ultra running. Wow. It's, it's amazing, too. As you, you run these 30 miles, you quit your job, and you kind of make this leap. But, I mean, you're known for your endurance events, your ultra-marathon abilities, and, and running these hundreds of miles at a time. And it's cool to see that 30 miles was the longest you would run at a time, you know, in, in one sitting before you quit your job. And what was ahead of you was much, much more. But you kind of made that, that leap not knowing for sure, you know, what was ahead. But uh, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, you know... I, my wife looks at me and she says, my God, you know, I've never seen anyone work as hard as you work. I mean, you get up, you train, you, you, know, you go to work, you write, you're on calls all day, um, you travel like crazy, you, you, know, you train in your office, you 
run in the afternoon. You're just constantly working. And, you know, I kind of look at her and say, what's he working? I, I'm doing nothing. Like, I have the best job in the world. It's not even a job. Like, I don't feel tired doing this. You know, when you're doing what you love, I know it sounds almost cliche now, you have, you have unlimited energy because it's what you want to do. So you just feel like it's not, it's not draining you. It's not sapping you of energy. It's just, it's, it's such passion uh, that you don't feel tired ever. At least I don't. So you have so many racing highlights that it's, we can't go over all of them. We'd be here for hours. Yeah. But we kind of want to nitpick a few of them um, and just kind of ask you a couple questions about them. Me first, so you, you ran 350 miles in 80 hours without sleep. Correct? <laughs> Yes. How did you do that? I, I mean, <laughs> the sleep thing is really what blows my mind. The 350 miles is like already you're gasping, but that without sleep, can you just kind of run us through how you did that and, and the, the mental endurance you had to do to achieve that? Yeah, I mean, even reflecting on it, I think, how did I do that? <laughs> um, you know, I, the answer is very simple and again, very cliche. You do it one step at a time. I mean, how do, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So I just started running. I mean, I had the course mapped out, and I started running. And, you know, I'd run straight through um, one night before. I knew I could do that. I'd run straight through two nights before on a couple of occasions. So I knew I could run for, you know, 48 hours. Um, but that third night without sleep was uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, it was interesting in that uh, I found myself um, running down the middle of the road. Uh, and I thought, why am I, you know, running down the middle of the road? It, just, it occurred to me, hold it, why? you know better than to run down the middle of the road. You're going to get run over. But it was, you know, it's 3 a.m. on this backcountry road. And so I meandered back over to the shoulder, and it happened again. I found myself running down the middle of the road, and I realized that I was sleep running. Oh, wow. I was literally falling asleep as I was running. I was just willing my body to keep going because I didn't want to stop until I reached my goal. But I was asleep on the run. And the most bizarre thing about this is when I kind of woke up from these cat from these cat naps as I was sleep running, I felt uh, re-energized. It felt <laughs> like my body just had to reboot. Like it just, the system shut down, it rebooted, and we're all good. <laughs> wow. And, and yeah, it was, it was a little spooky because I thought, you know, you're going to get killed. Someone's going to you know, run you over as you're sleep running. But uh, that's how I got through that third night. That's, that's, that's crazy. It reminds me of uh, Courtney D. Walter, uh, another ultra runner. She, uh, yeah, yeah, she had her experience at the Moab 240. It was a race 240 miles um, in south, uh, southwest Utah and or southeast Utah. And she, she spoke about like she sat down and had a one minute nap. And it was like exactly like you said, it almost just like rebooting the system. So on that third night, you kind of spoke on like you fell asleep while running. Like how many times do you think that happened? I would say it happened three three distinct times that I can remember. That's wild. And again, I mean, I think for any of your listeners, the closest analogy I can come up with is you know if you've ever like crammed for a, a you know a final, uh, like pulled an all nighter, and you kind of just you know you're you're reading something all of a sudden you kind of your neck snaps and you wake up kind of with your head you know, on your, your chin on your chest or your head in the book and you wake up, that's exactly the same sensation. I was just running when it happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy. 
So wanted to ask um, the Badwater Ultra Marathon. You won that, and um, I mean for our listeners, it's 135 miles in across Death Valley, averaging 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, talk to us about like first the physical exertion there, but then also the mental exertion you had to uh, go through for, in that race. Well, you know, you say I won, but I never say I won. I just say I survived the fastest. <laughs> because, I mean, that's what, what you're doing. I mean, it's, you're, you're running, as you said, 135 miles uh, across Death Valley in the middle of summer. And to your point, the temperatures, you know, I've, I've run that race. The temperatures hit 130 degrees. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's, even describing it, it's, it's crazy. I think a human can survive in those conditions. But... You know, you, you, you wear, a, I personally wear a, like a white UV protective suit, 100% UV protective suit, because I found that even putting complete sunscreen on your skin, when it's that hot, you'll, you'll get blisters. Your skin will blister up. So, I, you know, I run, I put on this white suit to keep the sun off my body, and um, you put your head down, <laughs> and you try to stay hydrated, and you run. And, you know, it, it takes... Typically, it takes me around you know, 30 hours. It takes most people longer than that. But um, you know, you run on the white line because the pave, you know, the ass, the black asphalt can get up to 200 degrees and it can melt your shoes. So it's it's really a a surreal sort of experience to be out there um, in that sort of heat, let alone running in that sort of heat. It's like otherworldly, honestly. So it, it is. I tell people just you know, it, if you want to experience. Uh, a place on Earth that is about as far away from being on Earth as you can. Uh, I would say go go to two places: go to Death Valley in the middle of summer, uh, or go to the South Pole. I've been to both of them, and it's like nowhere else on Earth. You don't feel like you're on Earth when you're in these places because it's it's the the things that happen are so surreal and so unusual that um, it, it, the, the experience is unlike anything um, anywhere else. Yeah, I was going to ask, because you ran a marathon in the South Pole, um, which race was harder, the Ultra, the Badwater or the South Pole Marathon? You know, I have to say that the South Pole experience was, was more difficult. One, in that just getting to the South Pole is, is very difficult. And, you know, I was supposed to be gone for 10 days, and, you know, and I showed up back home 30 days later. I mean, we got stuck at the South Pole. And, you know, there were supposed to, I, I was told there would be 40 to 50 people participating in this race. You know, it ended up just three of us finally made it to the South Pole. It was so dangerous that not that many people signed up. And when people got to Antarctica, uh, they said, there's no way we're going to go all the way to the South Pole on this plane. I and mean, we're going to die out there. So, um, you know, spending 30 days on the Polar Plateau uh, was crazy. You know, the race itself was was absolutely crazy and that it was, you know, it was minus 40 degrees. So you've got to run with this uh, Bollock cream muffler in front of your face. You can't breathe in the, uh, the super chill air because it'll freeze your trachea. Oh my God. <laughs> so you've got to, you know, warm the air before you breathe it in. And, you know, the, the, the snow drifts were, you know, up to above my knees at points. And it's like deep sand. It's like trying to run through deep sand up to your knees, only it's, you know, it's degrees. So it's very dangerous. Um, you know, I, and just the living conditions down there were so miserable. 
Um, you know, if you wanted to brush your teeth, uh, you literally had to sleep with your tooth, your toothpaste in your mummy bag because everything you own is frozen solid. Like everything in your, you know, your, your dop kit is just, it's solid. There's no way you're going to shave because there's no mechanism to shave. Um, you know, it, it's impossible almost to heat water <laughs> because all we had was with these, you know, these small camp stoves. So I, I have a question. You've done some amazing things. Uh, you just talked about the South Pole. What an experience. We mentioned the bad water. We mentioned the 350 miles with no sleep. One of the most famous ones is the 50 marathons in 50 states in, in 50 consecutive days. And there's you know dozens and dozens more. Out of all of these, which one got you to the closest point of quitting? Which one did you ever, you know, say, I don't know if I can do this in the middle of the race, if, if any? You know, I have to be honest, that happens a lot. <laughs> I think that's, that's a natural um, uh, uh, emotion to experience. I think it's good. I mean, I, I fear these races. I, I am anxious. Um, as many, you know, and I've done, you're talking to guys who run hundreds of marathons and ultra marathons on all seven continents of Earth. I, I respect these races. I respect the distance, and I get very anxious and concerned and worried uh, about you know making it to the starting line. And midway through almost every race I'm in, I, I always think this could be the one that that you know that that stops me. I might not make it this one. And I think that's a good thing. I think that if I started taking any of these things for granted. Um, I would get arrogant, and I would, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't be as concerned and as, um, you know, completely dialed in as I like to be when I run these sort of races. Um, I think it was, it wasn't John Chambers. It was the um, who said the famous quote that you know only the paranoid survive. It was the Intel guy, uh, Gross. He had a book called "Only the Paranoid Survive," and I, I like that approach. Um, to ultra marathoning. I mean, you have to be paranoid. You have to fear every moment what could go wrong or you just don't make it. So I think the, the one experience that really stands out is um, I ran a uh, uh, self-supported six-day race across the Atacama Desert in South America, which is the driest place on earth. And when I say self-supported, that means I had to carry everything I needed for six days on my back. And that race was so grueling. And, you know, it was over 100 degrees during the day. And then it was below freezing at night. And, you know, you're sleeping on the ground, on rocks, basically. So I didn't sleep much in six days. And, you know, and then running in a, in a place that, you know, has less than 4% humidity. <laughs> it yeah. was like, it was, you know, the, the, the landscape looked like Mars. It was, <laughs> it was really a tough one, that, that particular endeavor. Wow. Wanted to transition. We love to do a couple of what we call um, popcorn questions. And they're just kind of random, quick answer, rapid fire questions. And then we'll close out with our final thoughts, if that's okay with you. Um, but wanted to start off with what is your favorite go to meal after a race? Oh, you know, I, I'm a sucker for um, uh, wild Pacific salmon. I just, I just, I crave uh, salmon. Do you have a favorite TV show that you're currently watching or have watched in the past? <laughs> I'm not much of a TV guy. Um, you know, I have a, I have a routine where I watch. It's called the Nightly Business Report. Um, it's on PBS, uh, and I, I record that and watch it every night. It's a, it's a half an hour. 
kind of a summary of uh, the, the business happening every day. And I, I like watching that while I'm making dinner. Cool. Nice. You, I, I know you've mentioned you're a curious guy and you read a lot. Where do you go and read? Like, what's your daily, like, websites or publications that you like to read? You know, to be honest, I, um, I listen to podcasts periodically, but I'm more an audiobook sort of guy. So I have probably more audiobooks on my playlist than anyone on earth. I've got over 500 uh, books that I've listened to. Uh, and I listen to probably two or three books a month. Uh, on audiobooks while, while I'm running. Do you have a, a, a favorite book you'd like to recommend for our listeners who are, are trying to make the leap into you know entrepreneurship? Well, there's so many. There's a lot of great business titles. Um, you know, there's if you've never listened to an audiobook before, uh, there's you know I like adventure stories. To me, that just it it seems more um, you seem engaged and you know in more in. in you know, kind of involved in the book when you're listening to a great adventure story and you're out there kind of running. So there's a book called um, In the Thin Air, which is a, a classic by John Krakauer. It's a business title. I mean, I like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell uh, has written some great books. You know, Made to Stick is a great book. From Good to Great is a is a great business title. So it just depends on, um, you know, your interest. But there are a lot of great business titles. And I probably, I probably have... 100 business titles of the 500 uh, on my audio playlist. If you were to have your own pod- podcast, who would your uh, dream guest be? Hmm. Do they have to be living? <laughs> Let's uh, say no, not living. We'll open it up for oh, you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to. <clears throat> I'm, I'm 100% Greek, and I'd love to turn back the, the clock 2,500 years and talk to some of the, you know, the ancient Greek thinkers, um, you know, Socrates or Plato or Aristotle, and to see how, I think it's profound that, that you know, the, the philosophies they developed uh, are still so relevant to this very day and age, and to see how they kind of derive their thoughts, so, uh, yeah, I'd say uh, Socrates, he'd be a good interview. <laughs> um, last one for me, what purchase have you made in the past six months that's under $100 that has brought a lot of positivity to your life okay let me think about this one ah i got it well my daughter i've got a daughter alexandria uh that's into running and um she like many millennials you know runs with her phone uh and is always holding in her hand so i bought her uh, on amazon this it was for 9.95 it was uh just a uh an iphone holding case that she could strap onto her arm <laughs> nice, nice, love it. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I have to be honest. I, I derive a lot more uh, joy out of buying things for other people, or you know, gifting other people, because um, I don't know. I, I just think it's better to than to receive. For sure, I love that. So, um, for our final thoughts, we're just going to ask each one final question each, and then we'll let you go. And we really do appreciate the time you've given us. Um, but I wanted to just ask you. I feel like in life there's a lot of times where you want to give up and it's it's like any race you've run where you want to give up there's those moments um that you're just like I'm I'm turning it in um is there like a mantra or something you tell yourself or how do you work through those moments of I just I just want to give up and turn in or sit down on the ground 
That's a really good question. And, you know, I've, I've very much tuned into uh, what happens when I want to give up because, um, you know, people are always asking, how do you overcome? So um, what I do personally is I try to put myself in the here and now into the very moment of time, you know, thinking about the future or reflecting on the past, but we're never really present. So what I try to do is to just completely put on the blinders to anything in the future. Don't think about your next meal. Don't think about anything in the future. Don't think about anything in the past. Just be present at the place you're at. And then I think just put your next footstep in front of your last footstep. Okay, take your next step to the best of your ability. Literally, I get that grand new where I'm just saying, okay, Take your next step to the best of your ability. Take your next step to the best of your ability. So really being in the here and now, and not, again, I can do this for five or six hours. It's almost like a zen-like state you go into where you're not thinking about anything except just right now being the best that you can. And that has gotten me through places where I thought, there's no way I'm ever gonna finish this race. There's no way I'm ever gonna escape this. And it's gotten me through with it. Uh, my last question would be, uh, we've mentioned this the, uh, already a few times on the podcast, but a lot of our listeners are kind of staying on the edge and, and, and looking at the life that they could have, and they're, they're fearful about making that leap. And coming from someone who made that leap, what advice would you give to these people? Don't be afraid to fail. That, that fail and fail boldly. You know, spectacular fails to me are what makes life. <laughs> so, I mean, the very worst, you're going to fail. And if you fail, you succeeded because you've tried. Uh, if you don't try, uh, you're numb. You live of numbness versus a life of potential madness. <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I, again, it's, 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 it's cliche coming from me because I've done it and saying, you know, be, be courageous, be strong. Uh, but it's amazing how you can find, if you're, pa- if you're doing what you're passionate about, it's amazing how you can find ways to make it work. And in this day and age, in this economy, it's, it's, you know, the ways to do that are more plentiful than ever before. So, you know, I just say, go for it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Just, just jump in. I love it. Love it. Well, Dean, we really do appreciate all, uh, all the time you've given us today and like just honestly just a huge fan of yours and really look up to you in a lot of ways. So I do appreciate this greatly that you uh, got on the phone with us. Well, th- thanks for having me on. I hope I you know, said something that is of value to the listeners. 